Hi, this is Heather Hargraves, and you're listening to the NeuroNoodle Network Podcast. Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring our neuropsychologists, Dr. Laura Janssens, Dr. Skip Wren, and neurofeedback legend, Jake Gunkelman. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. This is an all-star cast that are more than happy to share their knowledge with you. My name is Pete, and today we have a special guest, Heather Hargraves, resident scientist from Divergence Neuro. But before we start with Heather, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters, Outrageous Baking, Tor Talk, Alternative Behavior Therapy, EGME, Mara Sadiem, and Jonathan Rowan, January Terrell. Outrageous Baking is a dedicated gluten-free bakery that's been around for 15 years. Tor Talk wants more people to discover text-to-speech. Because listening to text can increase efficiency and reduce stress. And then Joshua M. at Alternative Behavioral Therapy Neurofeedback Service in Vancouver, Washington. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the word out. If they can't hear us, we can't help them. Welcome to the show, Heather Hargraves, resident scientist from Divergence Neuro. Heather, thank you for coming on the show with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, for all the newbies that have tuned, just tuned in, can you please give us your background and tell us all about Divergence uh, Neuro in three sentences? <laughs> uh, so Divergence Neuro was something that was born out of the pandemic. Um, for a long time, I've also envisioned, you know, portable, dry, easy to access neurofeedback, because the longer I've been doing this, the more I've just been enthralled by how wonderfully it works. So when the pandemic hit, I was talking with a friend and Alex Nee, who's our CEO. And in the past, he had a company where they had designed portable headsets for epilepsy. And I came across a picture of him at Burning Man with one of these on his head. A friend sent it to me and said, did you see there's a guy at Burning Man with a portable EEG headset? said, oh my God, I need to meet this guy. And thankfully he was only two hours away. So I went to meet him and I started talking to him about neurofeedback. He'd heard nothing about it. I hooked him up to my uh, Brain Master device and I just started reading his EEG and telling him about his personality. And he just, he froze. He couldn't believe it because he'd been working with neurologists and he's was telling them, you know, she was reading my brain waves and they were like, ah, that's not possible. So he became really fascinated with it. And then when the pandemic hit, he came back and he says, you know what? I think it's time to reboot this idea because their EEG project with epilepsy kind of didn't really take off. So he went off to do a few other things and here we are. We decided to give it a go and it seems to be working so far. When, when did you give uh, first sucked in a neurofeedback? So, sounds like you've had all the softwares, all the different, you had Seaburn Fisher as a trainer. How did that happen? Yeah. Um, so it actually started with my son. So funny story uh, or shocking story. When I was pregnant, I got hit by lightning. And he was also, yeah, he was also born with something called gastrosthesis. So his early childhood experiences, he needed two surgeries within the first three months of his life. And when he started school, he was really struggling. Like he has a lot of sensory processing challenges. It's a, the journey into neurofeedback was an interesting one for me. So for me, it started with a car accident when I was 21 that led me to develop PTSD. And I ended up using meditation in yoga to bring myself back around. 
Then I went back to school to understand how that had helped my brain. While I was in school learning about that, this neurofeedback practitioner came into my class and was speaking about neurofeedback. And I, it sounded very much like how yoga and meditation had affected my brain. And I said, wait, there's something here in how these two overlap. So I continued with my education and I ended up working with uh, Ruth Lanius and Paul Fruin, which is how I ended up eventually getting connected with Ed Hamlin and Seaburn Fisher. But in that time, um, my son, who had been born with gastrostesis and uh, I had gone through that experience of being hit by lightning while I was pregnant and ended up on bed rest, his little nervous system was really struggling when he started school. So from the time that I met this neurofeedback practitioner in my second year and the time I ended up studying it in my master's, I took him to a neurofeedback therapist and it made a profound difference in his functioning. It really, really helped him in school. It really helped him calm down. Little beta frequencies are really high. He had, you know, these surgeries early in life. So I got to see how it worked, but I also intuitively felt that yoga and meditation had changed my brain in a similar way. So I basically got really curious with this like overarching capacity for us to use our attention and awareness to alter functional con connectivity in the brain and therefore adjust how our nervous system was functioning. And that developed into divergence neuro? Yeah, it developed into divergence neuro because I ended up doing my master's thesis work. We were working in uh, looking at dissociative disorders and trying to understand how trauma and individuals who are untreated by current methodologies could be helped using neurofeedback. Then we understood the overlap with psychedelics. We were like, wait a second, there's something going on with what's happening in the default mode network. So from there, I ended up discovering uh, Jeff Tarrant because I was also studying meditation. And I got trained as one of his neuromeditation teachers. So I was working with him. And then after that, Jeff and I were always looking for portable headsets. Like how do we make neurofeedback more accessible? How can we share the neuromeditations more easily? Um, and then I met Alex and I said, hey, you know, not only can neurofeedback do all this stuff, but we also have these neuromeditation ideas and we're trying to make it more accessible. There was a platform called Helium, which is a virtual reality platform that was trying to merge neurofeedback um, and VR, but struggling with this gap in headsets. So Alex was like, all right, let's try to fill this void. Where are things now? If, if we can kind of just, you know, jump into today, where are things now as far as your product and, and you know, distribution or? or so what? today is an exciting day, actually, because we are officially launching the neuromeditation platform and package on the Divergence uh, headsets and software. So like, you mean, we, mean like today, today? Today, today. Today is the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I asked. <laughs> Yeah, they're yeah. working really hard on it. And they said later today, probably in a couple of hours, it'll be officially launched. So um, the neuromeditations are now available for easy use. And the Neuromeditation Institute is also just finalizing a full online suite of trainings so that we could make it accessible and affordable. And then uh, Jeff and I and a couple other trainers are going to set up 
meditation times, or not meditation times, but mentoring times, well, meditation times too will come, uh, when individuals can come and learn from us directly as an adjunct to the online training. So we're trying to really reduce any sort of bottleneck to jumping on the platform and learning how to use this, how to use it. <laughs> wow, congratulations, that's fantastic. One of the things I like about the divergence approach is that they're actually oriented towards the therapist, not just towards an end user. Uh, end users come in all varieties and there's nothing wrong with being an end user doing your own thing, but there's a lot of mistakes out there. Uh, people thinking they might do something and they're not well advised by advising themselves kind of like a lawyer having themselves as a client, you know, you've got a fool for a client. So um, you have every right to do whatever you want to yourself. However, it's good to have somebody guiding you that's been experienced in the area, kind of, you know, don't step there, avoid this, do that, you know, a little guidance ends up getting you a long ways further along the path than if you're just stumbling along yourself. So uh, having a company oriented towards an interface between the user doing their own work and a therapist uh, so that you've got somebody helping to design the protocol, uh, monitor the sessions on an ongoing basis, available for consultations, you know, the, uh, as opposed to here's your headset, good luck. And, you know, there, there's a lot of the good luck uh, out, out there in it. You know, again, I, I don't want to disparage people doing self-exploration, self-meditation, you know, all of that. I mean, you, you have every right to, to mess up your head if you want, any way you want. But uh, um, having somebody who's been there and done that ends up helping you avoid rookie mistakes. And uh, I think Divergence has uh, set up an, an appropriate level of interaction. It's not onerous or userous you know there's no uh you know big brother you know uh, uh manipulating everything it, but but you've got a, a consultant relationship uh from the start and I, I think that sets them apart from some of the other you know simple headsets that you can get and and work with yeah uh, okay. sorry but you can get carpal tunnel in your brain like if you over train something it's important to you know have your trainer that you can check in with if something isn't feeling right yeah you know as as powerful as smr training is uh, for uh, somebody you know it's stabilizing it's a fabulous thing if you've got over arousal or instabilities but you can become hyperstable the brain does excitation and inhibition and they have to balance so if you hit the inhibit, 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 inhibit button again and again and again and again, you can become actually excessively inhibited, uh, 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 over sedated, under aroused. And some people get, you know, sleepy, giddy, you know, uh, uh, under aroused. Some people get overtly drunk like, you know, you have three or four beers, you're under aroused, but you're disinhibited and you're you're being silly so different people respond differently but an overshoot in your training uh, needs to have a balance and wherever you have a 
an inhibiting protocol. You have to have an exciting protocol to balance it. And that balance is a tricky balance. You can't prescribe it from afar. You have to be involved in the day-to-day operation of what's going on. The, uh, the, the person who suddenly gets a big burst in what they've learned ends up perhaps needing a little bit of balance. So, um, you know, ha- having somebody there to say, oh, uh, the, that uh, lightheaded giddiness that you experienced after your SMR training, which shouldn't really make you excessively that way, it is just an overshoot. Balance it this way. So, um, again, having, having a guide ends up helping a, a tremendous amount. Heather, we, we're, help us uh, get rid of the gap here. We, we have parents that are listening to the show that are considering neurofeedback for the first time. We also have clinicians that listen to the show and are trying to add neurofeedback to their practice to the, for the first time. You just launched your product. How, how can we help those two? Uh, can, we, can we bridge that gap? So right now, if they want to get started, I think that the neuro meditations are a really nice place to start. And we've made the package really accessible where the training is online. It gives you all the tools you need. It'll show you how to use the platform. And then we have mentoring structured with one of our teachers so that you can get your hands on it and get feedback. We'd like for you to have a training where we train you, a training where you train us, And then we expect you to do a few trainings with others where we watch. All of this can be done online. And we've basically made the paradigm where it's gentle shaping. So when you're just getting into neurofeedback, for anyone who has started, usually we all know it's that steep cliff that you have to climb. And then sometimes a little bit of like climbing upside down for a while while you're learning all these protocols and brain regions. But with the neuro meditations, it's just gentle shaping. So we start by teaching you what I mean by that is gentle thresholding and understanding this idea of training something up or training something down and seeing how someone responds to that. But with these five basic meditation styles, which are pretty much tied to gently training kind of core functional connectivity patterns in the brain that help with our awareness our focus, our ability to be activated or calm. And so you start to get a sense of how does the nervous system respond? How do I respond? How do my clients respond to feedback, to being in relationship with a piece of technology that's making a part of my mind that I can't see clear. From there, if we're hoping to then allow people to bridge out into deeper training. So There's a lot of neurofeedback trainings already available. Eventually we'll probably host some more complex trainings on our platform, but the cost and the ability to get in and try is lower than anything else in the field. Not an exact price, but a ballpark, you know, you know, uh, I I don't know if you do rentals or how that's going to work. You know, we, we have questions all the time about uh, at home uh, systems. Yep. So what's unique about what we're doing is we're trying to be hardware agnostic. So we are a software platform and eventually we hope to develop multiple partnerships across the field. So right now we're working with the Neurosity Crown, which is an eight channel headset. 
We've got a, a couple other headsets that we're looking at as well. And so right now you can rent the Neurosity headset for $100 US a month to get started to see if you like it. They will, the total headset cost is $899. They will let you rent up to four months. And if you decide to purchase the headset, that $400 goes towards the purchase of your headset. You send your rental unit back, they send you a brand new one, and then you buy out the rest of the headset. What's nice about this though is for clients who just wanna use it for a month or two, they're keeping a suite of about 90 rentals available for the general population right now so that clients can just kind of jump in without having to purchase that immediately or if they're not gonna use it long-term. For clinicians, um, so if someone is signing up as a coach and we distinguish the difference between coaches and clinicians by are you a neurofeedback practitioner already or are you just going through the Neuromeditation Institute and just learning the neuromeditation practices and protocols and that's all you're gonna use in your practice, which can be more than enough, you know, if you don't want to go up that cliff of learning everything about neurofeedback. Um, they're about $80 for the starter tier and you get one to five active clients, 210 for the pro tier, and you get one to 15 active clients, and then 320 for the clinical tier, which is I think one to 30 active clients, and that's a monthly fee. And I think it's about $20 more per um, each of those packages, but I'm not entirely sure around there for clini clinicians who are wanting to use this. So $100 introductory if you're going to have up to five clients. The neuro meditation suite, the starter is an added $60 US a month. And then we've got increasing prices along the same lines, whether you're a pro or a clinic. Is that a dry sensor? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Feel about it. And it just sits on the head. And then what's really great is that everything is delivered to your client's phone. So the app is on my phone. And I don't know I can't see. It's hard to tell. But everything is just right at my hands. I can just put my phone down. The feedback, we have dimmer screens and we have sound currently that gets louder and quieter. The clinician can change all the music. You can put whatever music that somebody prefers in there. And then soon enough, I think we're gonna have um, the ability to use like Netflix or YouTube in the background with the dimmer screen. Eventually we'll get all the games going, but for now we're starting with those two paradigms. Um, and you just, Everything is also done on the web. So it doesn't matter if you have an Apple or a Mac, you can equally utilize the software. And within a month, we will also have live thresholding, which means that you can use a Zoom call and you can be watching your clients training live and you can be adjusting it from a distance as they go. So you can be setting the thresholds when they move forward. So beyond the neuro meditation suite, it's a full neurofeedback suite. So if you are a licensed clinician, then we open up the full suite to you. And that's what that little bit of the extra cost is. As we get more complex headsets, we're going to be able to do Escalera, SensCore. We're building out a database. So we, we're really 
interested in working with clinicians and what do the clinicians want? So right now, you know, Jeff and I have mostly designed and driven and Jay, <laughs> what's happening with the divergence platform. So we're trying to make it as user-friendly for a neurofeedback therapist as possible. So, so Heather, so, uh, people aren't, don't have visual on this right now. So what, what she has is a dry cap. Um, and it looks like it's, it's mostly posterior, mostly, uh, in the back, there, there's no sensors in the front for people who can't see it. Um, so kind of two questions. It, that's so when you use the word meditation, you're you're really kind of trying to get after the default uh, network. Um, and, and then uh, and, and you can clear that up. I'm just making a broad brush with that. But um, and then the other question has to do with the FDA and how do they feel about it? And I don't know if it's run through that whole rigmarole. But um, is it measuring what it's supposed to measure? It is measuring what it is supposed to measure. We have an entire research team with divergence. So we have a bunch of uh, biomedical engineers and EEG experts who are checking all the signal quality and processing of each of the devices. Um, as far as FDA, we're not claiming it's a medical device. We're claiming that you know it's a meditation or wellness device or self-awareness device, I would say. So what happens is the license is within the practitioner's hands. We are selling a device and then the licensure falls under the clinician who's using it. You know, and it's up to them to be properly describing and explaining to their clients how this works, gaining their consent, letting them know the limitations where the research is at. So we're not trying to move beyond uh, what we already know about this. Um, and yeah, so there's another headset coming out called Next Stem that does have the midline and it's 16 channels. We're hoping probably in about three months to have that one up on the platform. The idea that I kind of, um, the metaphor I use is imagining that divergence is like a kitchen and the headsets are like utensils, the protocols are like recipes, and then the different practitioners are like chefs. So depends on what you want to cook and what tool you want to use, what ingredients you're going to put in there. We're just trying to offer you a full kitchen so that you can do what you like. And then you can switch out devices as we get more on board without, you know, too much cost to you. And as devices move forward and things kind of advance, you get to keep the same software, but you can, you know, move the devices or upgrade as you like. So the applications, Heather, um, I think you've already kind of mentioned it, but if you summarize them again, so applications with, with this particular device when it's posterior, more like uh, PTSD and meditation, and um, I'm wondering if it, it can affect logical memory. I mean, I don't, I don't know kind of um, exactly which populations you're having the best success with. It has F5 uh, and 6 on it, so there's a little bit of frontal training. Um, Primarily, this headset originally was designed to help people with focus. The Neurosity app on its own, and, and people can switch between. We're about a month out from that happening, but we allow users to still use the software that came with the headset. So they have it set up so that when you're listening to music on Spotify, it's supposed to be measuring. I'm not entirely sure what they're measuring, but it helps with focus and getting you into flow by the sound modulation and a few of our clients have said that that's been really helpful. 
So I think it depends, you know, the one thing I've learned from Ed Hamlin is he's like, you know, it depends on the practitioner. People sometimes start falling into certain protocols that they really like and they tend to rely on. And it just depends on how you know how to maneuver it. But this is also, it's not just the headsets. It's, it's a clinical tool as well. So what I like about the neuro meditations is once I have captured someone's attention in a certain way, I can really work with that clinically and move their awareness to, you know, find their body a little bit more, or find the moment a little bit more. And then that promotes deeper insights with the neuro feedback protocols as well. So it's kind of a dance between the two. I, I certainly believe you. So I just want to start there, but man, this sounds like too good to be true. And I don't mean that as a challenge. I'm just coming from my experience where, you know, it's 2012 and, you know, there's some people that know what neurofeedback is and there's some that don't. And then, you know, you kind of getting your software and hardware going and then you're on your own and you're looking for mentors and, you know, hoping you're doing things somewhat accurately. Yeah. The part that's the part that's blowing me away on this is, is that, wow, like as a new clinician or even a, you know, kind of older clinician that would like to learn more, there's an aspect of what you guys are offering too. That's kind of uh, mentorship ish or, or certainly supervisory, right? Can, can yeah. you speak more to what that looks like for a clinician out there that might be interested in some help? Uh, me? Yeah, 100%. So that's why we are going to be setting up standard regular, like either group, or you can contact one of us for one-on-one -on -one mentoring. So there's always that availability. And we're hoping as we train more people through the neuro meditation suite, or as more clinicians learn to use the divergence platform, we add you as somebody who could supervise and work with people from a distance. Because our whole thing is about increasing the relationship and also increasing access, affordable access to a technology that can have such profound effects for wellness for individuals. And I find it lowers like the clinical stress load for me to be able to have this technology mediate that therapeutic alliance I'm trying to build with someone. If someone has a trauma history and attachment is challenging, my what I have loved about neurofeedback is there's this objective mediator that helps me build trust with my client because I'm like, hmm, it looks like you're tensing. You know, I see their beta rising and they're like, what? Why? You know, they, they're seen for a moment, but they're objectively seen. I don't have an agenda on seeing you. And so it starts really like building that space of just we're just observing. We're just witnessing and we're just sharing space. And I'm just trying to really understand you and what's happening with you and help you understand that too without any sort of like consequence from entering into that secure relationship with me. And so I find it's just such a, that in and of itself has been a real gift and helping clinicians understand how to do that and how to use the technology that way foundationally, I feel is where this really shines or where have I seen it shine. And then from there, you can really build out, as we know, like these deeper trainings or, you know, really dialing in on a certain aspect of someone's memory or focus or they have a concussion. But in the end, if you're not building that alliance with someone and they're really not there with you in the process, sometimes they can miss the mark, right? They don't really attend or really connect. 
what a what a powerful experience for the for the client, right? Uh, I remember you know some studies when people were lobbying for which theoretical perspective was most effective. What came through, you know, the the meta analyses of it was the relationship. And so it's kind of saying you can call it whatever you want, but unless you're connected, you know, interpersonally, it's it's going to fall flat to some extent. So, yeah, that's amazing. That, that's uh, yeah, so promising and exciting. Yeah. So the mentoring aspect from that, I'd say like that's what we're offering in the beginning, and that's what I really like about the neuro meditations is that it kind of takes that to heart, seeing yourself and having your clinician see you, and then from there, you know, if you want to go deeper we're all trained neurofeedback practitioners so we can help you go beyond that as well. Is it possible to work on the cerebellum back there? You know, there's nothing that stops you from moving the headset. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I could put it on like this if I wanted to, you know, and just train. I could lay down and put it at the back. So the sensors really can be put anywhere. And if you're skilled enough as a clinician and you can ensure that your client is putting the headset in the right spot, you can train there. Got it. They okay. may uh, disagree. So uh, um, <clears throat> Heather's a very uh, uh, wonderful front person for the company, but I think that the backroom guys that end up having deep EEG experience are also important to understand. Um, you know, they abandoned a project because the financing went away, but they were doing AI prediction of somebody's likelihood to have a, an immediate seizure. So they had a warning. Uh, they have deep AI uh, experience. Um, they, they do high-level analysis of EEG, microstate analysis, and things such as that. So th this isn't, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's green behind the gills who kind of stumbled on EEG as a topic who thinks they've got an engineering background that they suddenly can understand brain function. These are people that have been involved in deep neuroscience attempting to use the EEG to predict somebody's immediate about to have a seizure. And those, those projects were actually quite promising. It's just, you know, when financing goes belly up because of COVID, uh, it, you know, you've got to find something else. And I think we're very fortunate that they were exposed to neurofeedback and that's where they've spent their time. The, the, they're also involved in uh, background research on uh, psychedelics. Uh, I, I, and that'd be a great topic for Heather to cover for a bit. Because my master's research was in mimicking the psychedelic state using a squash at a PZ between 1 to 20 hertz. Um, and we noticed that, well, my research showed that when people did that, and my personal experience with it too, is that it, it seemed to really help people with discerning um, like equanimity or a state of acceptance and just kind of putting you into that flow state, which is very similar to what people experience following a psychedelic experience, like the afterglow or even from microdosing. So I've been giving talks on this and interestingly at mostly psychedelic conferences. So I'm always hanging out in the most niche place possible and the neurofeedback therapist saying we should put this with psychedelics. <laughs> 
Um, so even in the psychedelic world, they're like, what do you do? What is neurofeedback? Um, so somebody caught wind that we were doing that. And there's this company, Entheon, that wanted to get into the space of uh, brain-computer interfaces as well as psychedelics. So they approached us, we had a conversation with them, and we've since been doing research with them. And they recently released a provisional patent on this uh, kind of metric that we've worked out for monitoring the psychedelic state. So our platform is also gonna be used for clinical use in psychedelic clinics. We have a partnership with Ovid in Berlin, and they currently have a training called MIND, and neuromeditation and neurofeedback is part of that training for the psychedelic therapists. So there are clinicians who are already licensed who want to become psychedelic therapists. They learn everything from the neuroscience of psychedelics, all the chemical components. They're learning neuromeditation theory. They're learning about photic biomodulation, um, things like glossolite, stroboscopic ways of inducing altered states, as well as different breathwork practices. So it's this whole sphere of how do you help someone enter into a psychedelic state, and then eventually we'll be including uh, the divergence platform and all of that. But the Ovid clinic itself is starting to onboard the use of the divergence platform, and we're going to be tracking and using it pre-post psychedelic experiences, and eventually using this during the psychedelic experience to help monitor where somebody is at, and are they at a therapeutic dose or not. So this isn't just a simple dry sensor thing then, huh? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's a little more to it, huh, Jack? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a great, like, my team is amazing. There's no way. I, I definitely am more of a front person and relationship person, but they get going on all the engineering that's going into the back end of our platform, and it's phenomenal, and where this can go, and you want to talk more about the psychedelics and how, how you've worked that into your practice, uh, you know, for the new clinicians out there, why would they put that into practice or how, how would you, they address that? Psychedelics. I don't actually use psychedelics yet. I kind of joke that I fake it till I make it. Um, so I am waiting for it to be legalized. And then once that's the case, I'd be able to, you know, jump into that. But for now I'm teaching people how to modulate their DMN, you know, what is a psychedelic doing? It's helping you soften functional connectivity so that you can like broaden your mind and choose a new path. Like in the psychedelic sphere, they imagine, they usually use the metaphor of imagining there's a snow globe and there's been somebody who's been going down the hill many times. And so there's this one path they keep going down. Psychedelics is like shaking the snow globe and allowing that path to smooth out so that it's a little bit easier for that person to see, you know, the forest or the trees or see a new path along the way. I find I can achieve very similar things using neurofeedback, using the neuromeditations, helping people become more aware of these habits, you know, seeing themselves in a way that they wouldn't have seen themselves otherwise. Um, I have several friends in the psychedelic area and people who do practice this and one colleague in particular Rafael Lancelotta is really well known for their work with 5-MeO DMT and they published a chapter I can't remember the book but this idea of short-acting tryptamines so short-acting tryptamines are like DMT 
ketamine, uh, different substances that somebody could use within an hour session. And why I feel that's important and how we could potentially pair it with neurofeedback is that it could be more cost effective. So instead of necessarily just spending, it's around $10,000 right now to do a proper psychedelic session. You need two clinicians. You need to have a lot of building that relationship, getting to know them, usually eight to 10 prep sessions. Then it's a six to eight hour psychedelic session with two clinicians, and then another eight to 10 integration sessions. I think that's great. I think that could be, you know, a wonderful thing for people, but it's not really what most people can afford. So if we could be using neurofeedback to harness the entropy that happens either during the psychedelic state or right after the psychedelic state, while also using neurofeedback to prepare people to soften their networks so that they're more receptive to the psychedelic experience, we may bring costs down and increase access. And then we could ensure that someone is really ready for that $10,000 investment where they're more likely to have this pivotal mental state or some call it the mystical experience where they, you know, we might think back to Anna Wise, they have that awakened mind moment where everything aligns and you get that fresh smell kind of where all the networks open up so that you can really have that moment of seeing yourself, you know, getting the insula turned on, getting everything connected, having that deep compassionate experience that really allows for profound change as we go forward. Um, something that Jay has really helped us with is looking at phenotyping the psychedelics and this idea that there are two specific phenotypes that could indicate somebody is not ready for a psychedelic experience. So the other thing that I think it's important to me and important to our team and others who are working with us is preventing injury. Like there's all this excitement and money going into the psychedelic sphere, but I don't know if any of you have seen someone go into an alpha beta state before they're ready and <laughs> what that can look like for them, you know, the blowback experience. Psychedelics is the alpha beta on speed, right? You, people have a really hard time integrating sometimes this is a problem in the community. And as we see more of these psychedelic clinics coming out, we're gonna need more rehab, you know, clinicians who know how to put somebody's ego back together. But wouldn't it be nice if we had a device that could say, hey, warning, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe you might wanna consider these exercises first before investing all that money in this experience that might actually fragment you as opposed to integrate you. I don't know if Jay wants to talk about the phenotypes and how he's been helping us with that. There, there are actually EG patterns that predict medication failure in general, mm -hmm. not just with psychedelics. And, uh, and if you have epileptiform content in your EEG, which is not an, not an uncommon circumstance, you don't have to have a diagnosis of epilepsy to have a discharge in your EEG about 25% a, a of the ADD, ADHD population, about 60% of the autism population have unexpected epileptiform discharges. Uh, uh, a third of uh, uh, psychotics do 
um, about 12% of anxiety patients do. And 12% is not a big percent, but it's the background population, three to 5%, it's either three or two or three times larger than the average incidence. So you, you, you basically can expect these in a clinical circumstance. Well, if somebody's coming in for a psychedelic therapy, they may also have such a discharge. And you're not going to get the classical experience if you've, uh, if you've given somebody something that has neuroexcitatory properties, if they've already got an overexcitable spot that's going to discharge. So they don't always have seizures because they don't always involve the motor cortex. But you can potentiate some wild electrical storms and they don't always settle out properly. Beta spindles, which are not just a little bit of beta that you see in the EG, but gigantic, excessive beta spindles, bigger than 20 microvolts, which, you know, as, as a raw value, beta spindles larger than 20 microvolts, read Niermeyer, it's abnormal. It's a clinical abnormality. So uh, if you have one of those two patterns, you probably need to do some pre-treatment to get that brain ready for the trip. You know, you, you don't take a long trip around the world without packing properly. And, you know, you're, you're about to take a wild trip. You better pack properly and, and, and have the right shoes. And, you know, you, you, you can't just, you know, willy-nilly well, let's go around the world in flip-flops. Well, that's not so good if you're doing mountain climbing. So let's, let's make sure that the people that are coming in are well evaluated and properly equipped for the trip that they're about to take. And uh, again, epileptiform content that's unexpected and you, you can't predict it based on looking at somebody or doing a paper and pencil self-report. So the DSM isn't good at identifying epileptiform content unless you're convulsing. And you shouldn't have to fall down on the floor and convulse in order to convince somebody that your brain's got an electrical pattern that's not right. A simple headset will do. You know, you, you, know, uh, you don't have to be tremulous and incontinent in order to convince somebody. So uh, uh, the ability to evaluate that with the EEG prior to the experience ends up avoiding the, the, a common mistake. And, you know, the common courtesy of a cowboy is if you step in something, you just tell people don't step there. And, you know, we have to be courteous enough to end up warning people, uh, you know, you've got a pattern that suggests that we do a little pre-treatment and, and uh, help you uh, a little bit before you just jump in. Super quick. Uh, are you doing any work with the MAPS group in, in the Bay Area, um, Rick Doblin and those guys? And then second part of the question, is there a Canadian group that's analogous to what they're doing? Um, so I, I know those guys. We're not working directly with them, but I am connected with many researchers across the different uh, platforms. Sure. Um, in Canada, there's a Canadian version of MAPS. So we have after here and there's the Canadian Psychedelic Association as well. Um, but there's been so many different groups opening up with trainings um, that I'm finding that it's hard to keep track of them right now. 
But Canada in particular is just booming because I think some of our legal restrictions are a little bit different than other places. So most of these big play, um, clinical entities you're seeing coming up also in the stock market uh, with psychedelics are in Canada, based in Canada. So I can see the potential. I was asking about applications earlier, so certainly PTSD. Um, I'm also thinking of uh, uh, recovery from addiction, right? The MDMA uh, effect on helping people recover uh, from opioid addiction. Yep, definitely, 100%. The idea is, is we're just adding, you know, the clinical assessment biometric objective clinical tool for clinicians to use as they see fit. We're never trying to usurp or say go beyond, you know, the human element, but it's nice to have this added piece of information, particularly when you're working with altered states of consciousness. And the other thing that uh, Jeff Durant has figured out uh, with the Neuromeditation Institute and his own work with the deep state stuff is that if you take a brain map about 24 hours before a psychedelic trip, and then you take one, or not the day of, and then 24 hours after, and then I think he does 48 and 72, you can then look at the change and make your own Z-score training to maintain the entropy. So whatever change has happened in your brain, that becomes your training. And then you can send somebody off with that saying, oh yeah, keep exercising these muscles as entropy comes down so that we start to scaffold and form and hold that new shape. So I think that with the short acting tryptamines, that's where there could be a lot of power with neurofeedback. If somebody's microdosing and you're using neurofeedback, it's, you know, it's like warming up before you go to the gym and then ensuring that as your muscles cool down or you're getting that right rest so that you're ready to train again. And we're progressively tracking and overloading the nervous system in the direction you want to go and you're getting feedback that yeah you're, you are on the right path what do you think it'll take to get this more mainstream you know more you know popular more uh household name kind of stuff like you said bring it to your colleagues and they're like what are you talking about I'm like well and then then you have to spend you know half your time explaining what it is and, and they're still scratching their head and you know you have to look it up google everything you're saying um what, what do you think it'll take to bring it more forward so if i was explaining to my colleagues and i put a headset on their head and gave them a phone and said here try it because it's one of those things that you have to try just do it yeah just just do it and so if we can make it accessible and affordable more people can try it and decide for themselves is this a good fit for you or not and i think most of us have seen that when you actually put the headset on someone and let them try it they're all they get it my experience is just cost. It's cost and accessibility and getting the paste on people's heads. And we're also trying to make, you know, that's why the online trainings and the open mentoring, just how can we increase access to this? As the quality of uh, dry sensor technology is improving mm -hmm. and, and, you know, if you go back a decade or more, dry sensor technology was just, well, it was new and it was quite terrible. But uh, um, at, at this point, the stability of the signals, uh, the ability to do data cleaning with AI uh, and ICA uh, mm -hmm. have made dry sensor technologies, I, I think, quite accessible at a high level, not just as a toy. 
Um, and uh, um, I, uh, I have to say that uh, the good old days of 50 years ago when I started were terrible. We used needle electrodes. Uh, people complain about paste. Try sticking 21 needles in somebody's head sometime. You'll get a complaint. We had to sedate kids and, and a sedated unconscious kid. What kind of a test is that? You know, so uh, uh, dry sensors are improved over paste. Uh, I, I've got a relative who, uh, who whose children tried some neurofeedback and after a couple of weeks of successful sessions said, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't stand this damn paste. So, uh, uh, you know, dig in your heels and absolutely quit. Uh, you know, the uh, what's it going to take? Well, advanced technologies uh, uh, end up making a big difference. Uh, the, the, the resistance to needle electrodes, for goodness sakes, uh, we've gone past that. Nobody uses them anymore. In fact, the American Society of Electro-Neurodiagnostic Technologists says needles can still be used, but only if there's no other way. And there's almost always another way. You know, if you've got an abraded scalp from a major accident and the person's unconscious and sedated, you can't paste on top of oozing tissue, but you can stick needles in. And, you know, so there's still limited, very limited circumstances where those can still be used. But, you know, pasting on discs and gluing them on with collodion, that, uh, that's all going to go by the wayside as the technology improves. Um, as, as Heather has pointed out, they have a limited set now. They're going up to a 16 set, which is still three shy of what we like. Uh, you know, one spot for all the classical 1020 system sites. But th that'll come too. I mean, the Koreans have a, a, a 19 channel a, a headset now, the, their wave, uh, uh, which I, uh, <laughs> I, I got a, uh, a holiday gift from the Koreans. They, they've, they're sending me uh, one of their uh, iSync wave helmets um, as a gift. And uh, it's hard for me to even say it because it's un unbelievable as a gift you know uh, it, it, uh, uh, it, it, it's a hell of a holiday this year <laughs> so um, it, I, I got all the holidays wrapped in together in one you know so uh, but the, the dry sensor technology is basically uh, supplanting the bad old days with higher technology and better forms of assessment and analysis and um, you know, are, we're going to penetrate into more common use when there aren't, you know, hurdles to get over, like needle electrodes in your head or paste that you got stuck in your hair that messes up the rest of your day. So, um, it, it, you know, we're moving forward incrementally. Um, I have seen the past because I was in it up to my neck. Uh, and I, I've I've seen what we do now and I've seen some of the near future because I work with quite a few people that are in developing products and um, the future is so bright. I have to cover one. I know Heather Hargraves, resident scientist at Divergence Neuro. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This has been delightful to talk with all of you today.
And what's the best way for the parents and the new clinicians to learn more about your services at divergenceneuro.com? DivergenceNeuro.com or the Neuro Meditation Institute, either of those. We'll put the links in the podcast notes. Uh, thanks again, Heather. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Heather. We thank you all for listening to NeuroNoodles, Neurofeedback, and Neuropsychology Podcast. We'd like to thank our Patreon business supporters, Outrageous Baking. They're a dedicated gluten-free bakery that's been around for 15 years. Check them out at OutrageousBaking.com. Tor Talk wants more people to discover text-to-speech at tortalk.se. An alternative behavioral therapy neurofeedback service in Vancouver, Washington. Hey, ask for Joshua M. We also like to thank our supporters, E.G. and me, Mara, Sadia M., and Jonathan Rowe and January Terrell. If you have an idea for a topic or a guest, please email Pete at neuronoodle.com or leave us a voicemail in the podcast uh, notes. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And hey, if you really, really, really like us, you can always buy us a coffee on Patreon slash NeuroNoodle. Isn't that right, Jay? Absolutely. Our <laughs> supporters get tremendous coverage on this show. Almost as good as the 19 channel cap. We love our Patreon peeps. Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs>